Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast, where we share stories from amazing leaders just like you and me. We break down myths of leadership, imposter syndrome, and we ask what brave feminine leadership means and does it need to change? All of these interviews were originally recorded in video format. Follow us on Instagram or Facebook at Brave Feminine Leadership for news on when new video series will be dropping. It's wonderful to meet you. Drop me a note if the content resonates. Melissa at bravefeminineleadership.com. Let's get brave. Welcome to our interview series on Brave Feminine Leadership. I'm thrilled this morning to be joined by Margaret Dreyer. Margaret, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Look forward to So before we get into our conversation, I'll just help the audience um, and just share with them a little bit of your bio so they can understand why I could not do this series without having you uh, as one of the people that I spoke to. So Margaret is a senior audit partner and the National Inclusion, Diversity and Wellbeing Leader at Deloitte. She's served in numerous leadership positions, including as a member of the Deloitte Australia Board and Chair and Founder of the Deloitte Australia Diversity Council. She's also been leader of the Inspiring Women program since its inception. And that program, which is focused on recruiting, developing and retaining talented women within the company, um, has led to them being named as employer of choice for women, women, if I can say that properly, by the federal government's Equal Opportunity for Women in the Workplace Agency since 2003. And in 2020, Deloitte Australia was honoured with the prestigious Catalyst Award, recognising the firm as a leader in gender equality. Margaret has also been recognised in the AFR 100 Women of Influence. Margaret, as people are going to see as we go through our conversation, your passion in this space runs very deep. And, you know, I believe you've done more in this space than just about anyone I've come across. I'm fascinated about where that passion comes from. And so for anyone in our audience who hasn't had the chance to come across you before, would you share your journey, a bit of passion and what drives you and where this extraordinary passion comes from? Yeah, thank you. Thank you, Melissa. And, and thank you very much for this opportunity. And thank you for the great work you're doing for, for us women and um, in the workplace. So I, I might start with my career back in South Africa. So from my accent, clear I'm a South African. Um, I grew up in Durban, um, one, one of only a family full of girls. My dad felt quite intimidated, I think, at times. Um, but parents who, who taught me, you know, despite the fact that they probably didn't have much, taught us that we could do anything in, in life. Um, and you might remember those days, uh, you know, that women weren't prominent in, in the workplace. Still, my mother, they had to stop working uh, when she felt pregnant. Um, so that's the time that my, my beginning started. Um, went up to Pretoria to study. Um, typical in South Africa, you don't tend to study in, in your hometown. Um, and then I just had a, an amazing opportunity to, to join Deloitte. Uh, and even a greater opportunity to work for the right partner um, on, on a piece of work that came along. Um, throughout my time, I think in Deloitte, South Africa, I, um, I didn't really realize that I was discriminated against. Um, and there was a wide variety of discrimination. There was, you know, was not just the fact that I was a woman. Um, I never realized that I, when, in my intake, I was the only woman. Um, and when I looked up, there were no female partners. Yeah. It did, you know, it was there, but I was 
probably quite oblivious to it. And I'll explain why now. Um, but also I was Afrikaans speaking. So, you know, joining an English firm, um, didn't really realize uh, that there was discrimination. Um, and the reason I didn't realize is because I just had an amazing boss who protected and shielded me against that. Um, you know, showed true leadership in, in, you know, I describe a true leader as someone that gives you something to believe in, i.e. a vision. Mm. He's someone to believe in, so I believe in him. But most importantly, as he believed in me, mm. gave me the opportunities to succeed, shielded me when I needed to, and pushed me to become the, the first female audit partner in Deloitte, South Africa. Um, and I, looking back, I, I realized how much he did for me. Um, and I then decided, um, you know, I've always had a passion for people. Um, to me, equality and um, human rights are, are very important, and that's my upbringing. Um, and I decided that I want to pay it forward. Um, so when we immigrated to Adelaide from South Africa, um, you know, it's a small town. Um, I remember getting to Adelaide. It was actually, it was quite amazing to me. It was, um, I was the only, I, I felt like I was the only female in leadership in Adelaide because I was, everyone made this big scene about me. I was on the newspapers and radio. It was like, um, but it's a small town. Yeah. So um, I, I wanted to see how can I make an impact bigger than the footprint I've got in Adelaide only. So, so, so with you know the help of others, I um, I asked whether I could take on a role to to help uh, getting more women in business. And at that time, our initiative was called Win, you know, Women in Business. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that's where it started. Uh, you know, the passion, wanting to make a difference for people, making sure that with these equality and human rights, and you know, probably most importantly, also that we that we value and use the talent we've got. You know, this is a small country, relatively speaking. Adelaide is a small town in the small country. And, you know, there isn't a huge amount of talent. People tend to move to the bigger city. So we needed to make sure that we had policies, procedures, a right culture um, in place to to retain the talent we have, men and women. So that's the background to me. So, Margaret, um, lots of areas for us to explore there. I think, firstly... Um, you had shared with me when you were in South Africa and how hard it was to get a chance to work on um, a sort of high-profile audit. Um, So how did that, that obviously changed when you came across the leader that you're referring to. Exactly. You know, I think what they tended to do is, with cheap labour, for lack of a better word, it's um, you have to go through your training contract like any apprenticeship, which is... um, no great opportunity for us to learn, but there was definitely two classes. There was the English-speaking males that all got the real, you know, top-notch, high-prestige ASX-listed type clients, and then the rest of us that were put on, uh, you know, smaller clients. So we learned a lot, but we didn't really get profiled to the right people in business nor the right leadership in the firm. And then when he came along, um, you know, he was looking for a different team. He himself was discriminated against because of being Afrikaans speaking mm-hmm. and then reached out and said, well, how do I help those that are in a similar position um, and put me on this job? And it was, look, it's the reason I'm here, to be honest, but I learned so much. I got so much exposure, profiling, um, and the, the life skills I learned during that, doing that job was just humongous. 
Did you always know you could do it? Did you ever doubt your own capability along the way and you were just waiting for a chance or was there a, a little bit of a fear about doing it? I think I doubted it. I think I always, uh, most of most women, most of us, you know, we, we do ask the imposter syndrome, syndrome question. Um, I definitely didn't think I could do it. Um, but, I, but I, you know, there's a part of you that wants to. Because mm. you... It's when you just want to do the great things. Um, but you you know, he gave me the the courage um and the continued support to make it happen. And when I did make a boo-boo, you know, helped me to 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 fix it and, and protected me against some of the consequences that you know might have been there because I was a woman or or Afrikaans. Um sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so, and we're really talking here about the start of, I think, what's been an extraordinary partnership. Um, and the audience um, uh, will find out that as part of the series, I'm also interviewing Dem Svegas, um, who's the, the leader that you're talking about. And uh, we had an absolutely fascinating conversation. And I asked him um, a lot of questions around the program at Deloitte's um, uh, that was based on getting an unfair share of female talent. And I just wondered if we could talk through, we've heard the genesis of that. So you're in Adelaide and you're looking around thinking, how can I have a broader impact here? I'm wondering whether the newspaper articles were helpful because you thought, gosh, I better <laughs> better get myself off the front pages and get, get a few more um, females to, to join. But can you talk us through... You know, how did that program come about um, and, you know, some of the sort of extraordinary success you've had in doing that? Sure. So, so look, I think it, it started with the fact that we, you know, as I mentioned earlier, is, is there is a war on talent and there was in those days as well. <clears throat> um, and typically what would happen in our profession is you, you, you know, the profession would train people up and then commerce or government would, would take them, which is partly our role. So it's not a wrong thing to be, but the, the move was too big and it, our ability to grow because we didn't have enough people was was quite big. Um, so so what we decided to do is, is, is how do we, what do we need to put in place in the organization to ensure that we retain our unfair share of female talent? Um, and the way that we went about it is to say that from a diversity perspective, we're only going to focus on women. And that's clear, you are, you know, for, for the most part, you're either a man or a woman. We can't muddy the waters. Uh, we can't bring other parts of diversity into what we were doing. We did attend to those, but not as part of my program at that, at that point. Um, and we said, well, what, what, what are the gaps? Why are we not retaining women? So we did quite a, a big root cause analysis of, you know, why we're not attracting women and why we're not retaining women and what needs to be true for us to attract women, I mean, the employer of choice for women, that's what we aimed for. It took us five years to get there, but we got there. And then once you've got them, how do you retain them, build them, grow them and, and profile? Um, and we put a number of things in place, inspiring women that you referred to earlier, which is, you know, why we won the Catalyst Award, or were acknowledged by Catalyst, um, was one of the programs we put in, which was really modeled off Deloitte business, off, off um, Telstra businesswomen. Mm -hmm. And it, the purpose was multiple. You know, we wanted to acknowledge and profile our women, but we also needed to see where, where is the talent? Now I was sitting in Adelaide, Guillaume was in Brisbane, and this a talented woman in Alice Springs or Perth. So it was a great way to identify talent, a great way to profile, 
even greater way to show our men that we look how talented women are. Give mm. them a go. Mm. And and that you know that program I think is what really what gave us the momentum, the critical mass that we needed to to um, retain our talented women and grow and be successful. A lot of organisations will have put programs like this in place, but not all of them have been as successful. What do you think was the real driver behind that success? I mean, one I hear is focus, but what else do you think has, that has driven the outcomes? Look, at the, the very first thing has to have, has to have leadership, uh, visible leadership support. Um, you know, all three, the, the CEOs that I've worked with in, in Deloitte Australia, have all, all three very vocal um, on this point, they, they lead from the front. Um, they hold partners and leaders accountable. Um, and you, you need all of that to, to ensure that, that the whole boat sails in the same direction. We don't have you know, people veering in different directions. I think the point I made earlier in that, that we didn't lose focus. Um, we did not uh, veer to, to include other parts of diversity into, into the framework that I was working in. Mm. And we celebrated success. You know, you must have fun at work. And Guillaume's got a great saying: is, is you know, um, having fun is 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 important. And and he's got you know, he's serious with with fun intent. Um, so so he, he he does try. We we did try and have fun, and we did celebrate. Um, but we were very serious in getting to an outcome that made differentiated Deloitte as an employer of choice for women. Hmm. It's intriguing um, why we're still having this conversation. You know, people have been hard at work for a long time, Margaret, yourself included, and yet it feels like leadership has stalled. And I could call out any number of statistics, and I, and I have at points in the interview, but um, what's going on? Why are we not seeing movement? And why, if I focus it even more specifically, um, you know, when we talk about salary, the, the gender pay gap is an example. You know, there's research that talks about men are four times more likely to ask for an increase and women ask for 30% less than they do. Um, let's just focus there for a minute. Um, yeah, look, I'll, I'll, I wish I knew the answer to the question. I can just share my views to that. Um, look, Melissa, I think, I think um, there are many organisations that are doing great things. You know, you have to call out male champions of change. I think um, Liz Broderick and what she's done there is just amazing. And then you look at other organizations like, you know, Chief Executive Women. Um, I think what they are doing um, and the way that they are supporting women is, is really good. But I don't think it's enough. I, I think that, you know, we, um, we try to put in reporting in, by companies on, on what they do around women, but it's, it's optional. So it's never going to change behavior. Um, and there's so many competing priorities for leadership, you know, particularly now with COVID and all the all the well-being issues that come out of that. Um, you know, Kai, it's 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 really a pity that we are. Um, but I think it's it's my personal view is that I don't think there are enough people or enough organizations or enough leaders, whichever way you want to look at it, that are that are taking the bull by the horns and saying we need to improve our female representation. We need to close the gap uh, in gender and, and pay. You know, our, our, our um, leader here in, in, in Deloitte, uh, Asia Pack, is adamant that there will not be a gender pay gap, and she's going to fix it. And Richard, the same. They're going to fix it. 
Um, and you know that sort of attitude and the, and real putting your money where your mouth is is is, is what I think will bring change about. Um, and I think we us as women we should probably be braver um, and stand together. Um, you know, pay it forward, but but as a collective, make a difference uh, and move it forward without being you know radical. Just let's be realistic and 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 ask for change. Mm. I want to swing it back around to you for a minute. Um, I know that one of the, um, you talked earlier about the leaders being very focused um, and putting measures in place to, to really, I guess, help, help the business understand that this was serious, this program that you were focused on with regards to increasing female leaders in the business. And my understanding is that um, Guillaume used to, ask the organisation to vote across a range of categories each year. And, uh, and I also know um, from a little birdie that consistently um, from start to finish when those awards were put in place, you came out with the highest number of votes for mentoring um, as voted right across the organisation, uh, which is an extraordinary um, achievement. What was that? How, how did it work? And I guess what were some of the the messages that you think that process was intended to send? Sure. Yeah, thanks, Melissa. I'm very proud of that. Um, look, Guillaume used uh, employees to, to vote for, for partners in three categories, uh, the most inspirational partner, uh, the best mentor, and then the best client service partner. And I think it was his way of, of getting employees to give upward feedback. To, to partners in a, a, a very protected um, way um, and thereby giving partners who do the right thing for our people uh, the recognition that they, they deserve. So, you know, the top 10 were, were acknowledged and we were all given our personal ratings. Um, now, message to those that didn't get a vote that, you know, maybe you should work on your people skills and, and including people and making them feel important. Because in the end, we're a people business. Mm. You now, whether it's the, our people that work with us or alongside us, or whether it's our clients, it's a people business. Uh, and people skills are important. And being inspiring, um, caring about them, taking them on the journey, sponsoring them, and then good client service. So it was a great way, I think, of, of acknowledging um, the contribution of partners through the eyes of our people. Um, but also a great way of, of you know, encouraging those that, it might have fallen behind a little bit to to look at what the people think of them and where they should focus their energy. And it worked well. It worked well. I'm sure people didn't want to spend more than a year without getting a good number of votes. Nope. No, that was one of the. It's like not having enough women in your team was the same. It's um, you know, uh, there were consequences for not. Uh, uh, complying with the culture of the firm. Um, the, the culture of the firm, you know, Guillaume's got a saying, culture beats strategy over and over. Um, you know, I heard David Morrison say the same thing, and it's very true. The culture of an organisation is what uh, ensures success. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Can I ask, um, I'm not sure whether you've seen in the last couple of weeks the Parenthood um, group have released a report um, and they've been up in Canberra talking about it. And the report is called Making Australia the Best Place in the World to Be a Parent. And there's just an interesting um, 
part in that report that I wouldn't mind getting your thinking on. It talks about, amongst a whole range of other things, it talks about the motherhood penalty. And it talks about um, one in two mothers reporting some form of discrimination in the workplace or being reluctant to take advantage of flexible um, working for fear of the impact on their career or their promotion. Is that something that, um, number one, does that resonate at all? I mean, I think we do see a large number of people not, repair, not returning to work at that point in their career. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, look, Melissa, I think it's true. I think, um, you know, I, I know myself that um, I found uh, the thought of combining motherhood and a professional career very daunting. Um, and that was, that was before I even became a partner still back in South Africa with all the support that I had there. Um, and, and, I, and I do think... Uh, there are still pockets in Australia um, where you are discriminated against when you become a mother, um, you know, and, and returning to work on a part-time basis is difficult. Um, you know, here at Deloitte, Anna, we've, we've put a huge amount of um, emphasis on flexible work practices, and, and, and that includes part-time. Um, now, COVID is, for the one thing it did do, it helped us to uh, improve that. You know, we now know it can happen. Technology is caught up at a, at a speed of lightning. Um, you know, and I think people are now realizing that working from home doesn't mean that you're not working. It just means yeah. that you're not sitting in the office. But I do think there's still a huge amount of women um, or parents, actually, you know, more than women that are struggling with the concept of returning to work. And how do you get those KPIs to balance? You know, we, it's, it's four, four, four days a week isn't four out of five. Because it's just you know your your client work might differ, but your your admin work doesn't change. So um, it, you know that balance needs to be uh, carefully monitored. Um, I think parental leave has had a big boost, and I, here at Deloitte we're very very proud of what we've got. You know we now provide eighteen weeks, um, both parents or single parent, um, irrespective of you know whether it's single sex or or, or not, um, which has allowed you know the flexibility to uh, to have a child and 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 really spend the right time with them. You got three years to do that in, so it doesn't have to be at the baby stage. And we've got beautiful photos. We 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 got a campaign called Deloitte Dads. We've got dads and and the kids. So it's um it's it has changed the perception, but I think I still think it's a huge challenge. That's, um, that's a very positive initiative. They also talk in that report about bringing in, um, I think it is 12 months, I've got it here, 12 months paid parental leave equally shared between the parents. And there was an interesting statistic, um, and they talked about Sweden as an example. Now, obviously, they've got significantly higher taxes than we do. Yep. But over there, they talk about 69 weeks um, is provided and 45% of the claimants are men. And then they compared that to an Australian statistic where less than half a percent of people taking parental leave in Australia are men. Um, are you seeing higher figures than that? Can I feel encouraged? We are definitely. Look, it's not where we want it to be. Um, Melissa, I, think, I still think, uh, you know, if you take men now or dads now, um, 
they put them back where we were, you know, 10 or 15 years back and that feeling of, oh, geez, my career is going to be stalled. And, and human, you know, we all are human. We all feel that fear. And until you've got role models and examples of, no, that's not the case, um, you will have that fear. Um, but we are certainly, you know, by including, you know, we don't call it um, uh, parental leave as such. We call, we, we, we call it more um, family leave mm -hmm. to allow, you know, it's, it's so, so there's not just uh, your, your typical historical male-female type, type relationship. And we've certainly seen an, an increase in the number of men. Um, and we've celebrated that. You know, and that's the bit I think that's, that's sometimes missing is not telling the story and hearing it from the voice of the people that have been there. Mm. But it's not where we want it to be yet. It's still, you know, still more, more women than men. Um, but, you know, we, it's, we, it's great now. We're starting to see same-sex same couples um, taking advantage uh, and, you know, that's the sort of thing that the beautiful stories that we can share and, and encourage others to to do the same. Mm, it's fantastic. It's so important for people to see and hear and celebrate those stories if we're going to see any change in that regard. Margaret, can I ask, um, moving away from that then, you know, there's a lot of... Um, sort of research that would indicate, um, and you know, there's males and females in this category, but I am generalizing around females um, at this point in time, that a lot of females self-reject before putting themselves forward for opportunities. Have you ever done that? <laughs> Lots. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, look, I, I, it's something that's been there for a long time. I know um, CW did some research around that um, with Di Grady a number of years back um, and, and you know that, that when we look at how we work at, at fixing or on, on improving our female representation you know it's men and women and you know I've, I've never been a believer of fixing the women because I don't think it's the issue is not the women but I do think that we as women need to uh, just be more courageous and I'm, I know I'm generalizing that and, and that's not a good thing to do. Yeah. But my, my experience with myself and, and others that I work with is that there are still too many women that um, have the imposter syndrome, don't have the courage. You know, that women have to be 12 out of 10 to go for a role. Men have to be two out of 10. Now we've seen all this research, uh, you know, so how do we as organizations help those women to actually be brave enough to go for the role. And so we, I'm thinking of things like sponsoring someone to the role. That's what Guillaume did with me. He forced me, not forced me, but he pushed me. Yes. And, and made me feel confident to do it and made sure that everything was surrounding me was make, was going to ensure that I would be successful. Mm. Um, and, then, and what we would do typically here is, is even when you look at performance ratings, is, is how do you ensure that you... Um, take cognizant of the fact that women would tend to rate them on, um, on par. And actually they've done all these amazing things and they're way ahead of track, but you know, they just, uh, they just, just don't, you know, sell themselves too humble um, and, and don't put themselves forward. And that's, I think leadership's responsibility is to identify those as gaps and, and help, uh, you know, overcome those barriers. You hear talk about um, women being over-mentored and under-sponsored. What's the difference? Look, for me, um, 
sponsorship is actually connecting the dots and opening up the opportunities and taking accountability. Um, you know, I think the too many in, um, too many instances where um, women shoot for shop for opportunities that actually is not the right thing for them. And I'll use myself as an example is, you know, there was a time there that I thought I wanted to have a PL leadership role. Mm-hmm. I can tell you, I'm so far from a PL leader. You have no idea. But, um, but the, the sponsor in Guillaume is the one that said, Margie, no, don't go and play where you're not going to be successful. Um, and why not? And so he, he helped me understand that, that um, that's not a role for me. Now, I think mentorship is much more on, on the, the softer side, making you feel good, helping you get the courage, the confidence to do stuff, where I think sponsorship is much more focused on will you be successful mm-hmm. and what doors must be open for you to get to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think sponsors, and certainly in Deloitte, are held accountable for ensuring the success. So they've got skin in the game and um, also you know, equally enough benefit out of the process. When do you feel most vulnerable? What sort of situations can still leave you feeling that way? <laughs> well, there's so many. <laughs> I don't know where to start. Um, look, I think it's when you, uh, for me, um, it's when I'm put in a situation where I don't feel that I know enough about the topic that's being discussed. Mm-hmm. Now, so if we talk about anything in my audit life, um, you know, I, those topics I could talk to or, or in the DNR space. Um, but when we go to topics where um, I don't feel that I've been prepared enough, I do tend to feel quite vulnerable. Um, I think when when you get put into doing uh, things that you don't feel comfortable, you know, having discussions that are tough, those sort of situations, it's hard, you know. And, and the, I think I told you, Melissa, when we spoke earlier, um, you know, for me, feedback is a gift. And that's the way I see difficult discussions or any negative feedback or whatever it is, negative or positive, or even, you know, the, the decision on do I want to take a role or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, doing a difficult discussion is hard. And that's when I probably feel most vulnerable because it's not in my nature to do that. Mm-hmm. But I always just say to myself, Margaret, you're giving feedback. It's for the benefit of the individual. So, so make sure that you, you know, you do it with, with that intent in mind and, you know, you're actually doing them a favour. They might not think so now, but they will in the longer term. I think that's such an important point. Um, you know, I've, I have seen a lot of people who are really uncomfortable giving feedback and, um, and it's not fair. It's not fair on, on, you know, the people around you. How, how do they have a chance to grow, um, you know, or understand the impact they're having or not having. So I think that's a really good point that you bring up. Um, if I go back to you feeling vulnerable then, so in a situation where, um, and we'll move away from the feedback one and more to the, perhaps you're underprepared on a subject or, or it's just not your kind of area of expertise. Yeah. What does that look like? So when you find yourself in a situation and you are vulnerable, what's going on? In my mind? Mm. <laughs> oh, look, I just feel insecure. Um, uh, I tend to struggle, you know, for me, when, I, when I'm in those situations, I, I, I struggle to, to really think logically um, and, and have an impact and have a presence in, in speaking to the audience or whatever the situation might be. And that's when the worst, you know, the, your, your perceived weaknesses, whether it's your own, you know, or otherwise, 
uh, come to a front because you 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 don't actually you you want you feel like you lose control um, and that happens to me quite a bit when I, you know particularly when you get up in leadership where you know you are in situations where you just got to make it happen yes um, and that's when you know the, I think that's when your confidence and courage courage has to take uh, um, the forefront and you have to just be focused. Um, but it happens to me, you know, more often than I than I care to want it to happen. But I grow out of every situation. Every time I learn something, and I realise that, you know, next time I I'm in that situation, I'll be better than I were was the previous time. Yeah, I wonder whether um, you know another one of the reasons for doing this series was hearing hearing a brief on people. Um, who were looking for development of some form and the brief would talk about them uh, needing to find their voice. And, you know, I'm just listening to you talk there about um, how you felt in those situations where perhaps you weren't contributing um, and didn't, didn't have the presence necessarily. I'm wondering whether in part that's what people mean when they say help someone find their voice. How did you find your voice? How do you, you know, how do you navigate those situations? Look, for me, um, I think what drives me in those situations is, is just, you know, the passion to, to do the right thing, um, coupled with quite a bit of tenacity. Um, and just, I just don't give up. Um, and, and just believing in yourself, you know, and that, that's the part, you know, I mentioned earlier, you know, what great leaders do is one of the things is they, they believe in you. Mm. But I think you also need to believe in yourself and the impact that you can have uh, and have to have, because we put, you know, this is a, this is your job. It's your role. You're, you know, I see it. Part of my role is to make sure that I'm sure talented women are successful, whether that's in Deloitte or outside of Deloitte. But that's my job. Mm. And you know, I don't see it as a job. I do it because I love to do it. But that's I'm responsible to do that, and I need to be held accountable. Mm. And those, you know, those inherent drivers are the things that drive me in those situations and say, just say what you want to say. And just make it, you know, put it on the table. And it might be the wrong thing, but I still uttered my, my, my views and had a, have a voice. And, you know, what I found is 90% of the time, people actually listen. And it mm. actually does change behaviour or whatever it needs to change. Mm. We, uh, we can be quite hard on ourselves and, you know, spend a lot of time comparing ourselves to other people. So, you know, I th I'm sure there'll be people in the audience today who are watching this and they're thinking, you know, Margaret is extraordinary. I could never do what she does. Um, how would you respond to that? There's nothing special about me. Um, you know, I think if you've got a passion, uh, if you've got the right sponsor, more so mentor, um, and you get the opportunity, go for it. Um, I don't think I did anything special. Um, I just I was, I was just very fortunate that I was surrounded by the right people. I've got great breaks in life and great opportunities in life, and then I just made sure that I used those to the you know to the benefit of the cause um, and pushed forward. There's, there's you know I've, I've seen so many others do it, um, and 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 you know achieve success. And and success is not personal success. Success is an outcome that you, that you that you focused on on in, in the initial stages. So. Um, yeah, anyone can do it. Just put your mind to it and, and have the passion and go for it. 
it was lovely um, having a conversation with Anne Sherry as part of the series. And I asked her about where her passion comes from um, because it's, it's passion that's translated into action across a whole range of different areas. Um, you know, diversity for women, disability, just to name a few. And, you know, her response to that, and it just, it echoes in what I'm hearing you say, you know, I said, where's that passion come from? And she said, oh, I don't know. I just, I look around and I pay attention to what's going on around me. And, you know, I, I, I get angry about it and, and I want to do something and I want to change it. And although you say you're not special, to me, that comes across in spades, that you've looked around, you've found something you're passionate about and, um, and you're not letting that go. Yeah. Well, thank you for that, Melissa. Appreciate that comment. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. No, no, I was finished. Thank you. Um, it brings me to um, the final question that I wanted to ask you. And that is from your perspective, what does brave feminine leadership mean to you? And do you think it needs to change? Okay. Um, look, Yes, I do think it needs to change, but I'll, I'll share with you when I talked to you about brave feminine leadership. Um, what I'm saying with brave is, is that you need to be courageous and bold as a leader. Um, feminine to me is not just women. Feminine to me is a collective of mm -hmm. men and women. I think we need senior businessmen like the MCC to help us to, to, to change because in the end, they sit in the leadership positions. They have to be the role models. Um, and, but I think us as women need to also collectively work together um, to make change and, and, you know, pay it forward for others and, and pull those behind us along so that they, you know, they can, we can become a force that, that can have an impact that matters. Um, and, and then, you know, the word leaders is, you know, to me, leaders is not top management. Leaders is everyone. You, yeah. you lead people from, from the bottom upwards. Um, and, you know, I think that we, we have many brave leaders out there that are making an impact, but I don't think there's enough. Um, and I think that we need to put in place um, more accountability for, for you know, government, uh, big business, small business, um, and other professional services to, to actually really make a change that, that would uh, allow um, for more female representation at all levels and, you know, take away the barriers around gender pay gap, et cetera. If I ask you if there's any female leaders that particularly inspire you, are there names that come to mind? Sure. Well, I, look, I definitely Liz Broderick. Um, you know, for me, there's been, um, she's been amazing. Uh, Natasha Stottospoja, um, mm -hmm. you know, the, the youngest woman went to parliament. Um, I think, you know, her impact, particularly around domestic and family um, violence has been amazing. Um, you know, Di Grady, yep, she was there. She's she, you know, on the Willys board and other places and she made such an impact and did not take her foot off the pedal. Mm. Um, you know, just to, those are three that I've mentioned. I'd have to mention Cindy Hook, um, you know, CEO of Deloitte Australia and now CEO of APAC, um, just an amazing leader. And then we've got a young leader, well, we've got a number of amazing leaders here in, in Deloitte Australia that, you know, coming up in leadership that, I can just see the impact that they are going to have. Um, and hopefully, you know, the legacy I'll leave will, will be a foundation for them to, to build, build a future Deloitte with um, even more female representation. 
I love that, Margaret. And it's so powerful to hear you reference the legacy that you're going to leave because without a doubt, you've already created one. And uh, I'm excited to see where the legacy continues. So thank you so much for joining That's the conversation. Awesome. It's just been an absolute pleasure to, to be able to have the chance to talk to you. So thank you. Thanks very much. I appreciate it. Hello there. If you're enjoying the podcast and would love to accelerate your own growth and leadership, then head to bravefeminineleadership.com forward slash brave tips for your gift from me, where I've captured all of the amazing tips and themes that came out of these conversations. I hope they help you feel your brave rising.